Praises be to our loving Yahuwah that we are gathered safely to again study his holy words and commands. Before we proceed, we ask everyone to please stand for our opening prayer. Everlasting Father, yes. thank you so much, Yahuwah our God, yes. for blessing us with life and strength. We believe it is your will for your people to be gathered today yes. to receive your message, which is always so timely and relevant, yes. especially during these times. Amen. We ask that you please send forth your Holy Spirit yes. to again strengthen our faith. Our Lord Yahusha, we also pray yes. to you. We worship your holy name. Yes. May you please grant us peace that we need and help us to be edified in our faith as we study the great book. Amen. Father, please forgive all our sins. Bless our fellow brethren who are joining us today from all over the world. Yes. May your peace surround your people always. Amen. We ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha. Amen. Amen. Okay, all right. Thank you so much for attending our Bible History Project once again. And we're going to pursue uh, Exodus chapter 16. Now, ex Exodus chapter 16 is, of course, a continuation of the journey of the people of God, the people of Israel after the Exodus. If you still remember in our study last week, the people of God after the crossing went to a place. And so let's go back really quick to do a quick recap. This is, uh, try to do the next slide. Okay. Uh, this is, uh, if you can see, this is where the people of Israel came from. When they crossed the Red Sea, can you see the Straits of Taran? Right there, the one that we encircled. That's where the crossing took place, the miracle uh, took place. And after there, they went to a place called Mara. In Mara, if you still remember, uh, the people encountered bitter waters. They had no water to drink. And so God provided a miracle. And we discovered Yahuwah Rofeka. God is the one who heals. And after journeying from Mara, they encountered a nice place. It's called Elim. And in Elim, if you still remember from last week's study, we f they find a nice oasis. Exodus 15, verse 27, after leaving Marah, the Israelites traveled on to the oasis of Elim, where they found 12 springs and 70 palm trees. They camped there beside the water. So it was basically like a vacation spot. It was a nice place to hang out because palm trees were there, and they also had water to drink. And this is how Elim looks today yeah you see the palm trees this is in the desert this is the oasis mentioned in the holy scriptures and so when you are in that place after traveling in the desert for several days you don't want to leave that place right you kind of want to stay there but of course they were on a mission their journey had a purpose and where were they headed to in the book of exodus 16 verse 1 and the whole community of Israel sent out from Elim and journeyed into the wilderness of sin between Elim and Mount Sinai. They arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, one month after, the leave, after leaving the land of Egypt. What was the purpose of their journey? Where were they headed to? The Bible says they were headed to Mount Sinai because in Mount Sinai, they were going to receive the commandments of our almighty God. But to get to Mount Sinai from Elim, they had to cross the wilderness 
of sin. And so this is the journey of the people of Israel. The wilderness of sin is right there. They're going to go all the way to Mount Sinai. And so that's a pretty big journey. And so this journey of the people of Israel pretty much encapsulates our journey metaphorically because we too are in a journey. And so from Elim to Mount Sinai was a long, arduous journey throughout the wilderness and throughout the desert. You know, when it comes to journeys or long trips, when you start out a trip and you're, or, or when you're about to complete the trip, it's kind of fun, right? But what's always the most difficult part of any trip or any journey is the middle. Isn't that true? Have you ever been in a long trip before? Maybe from here to Southern California, when you are like right around Fresno, you begin to feel kind of awkward. You want to go back. You want to keep going forward. Because when you start a journey, you're excited right? You're filled with enthusiasm. When you're close to your destination, again, the enthusiasm comes up. But if you're in the middle, you're in the doldrums, you, there's a lot of things that you end up doing. You complain a lot. You begin to worry a lot. And this is what's happening with the people of Israel. They left through the Exodus. They're going to go to Mount Sinai, and they're stuck in the middle. They're stuck in the, in the desert or in the wilderness. And so this is an aerial view of the wilderness of sin that they have to go through to get to Mount Sinai. And so it's a difficult journey. And in this journey, of course, we're going to be tested. How so? What happened there? The book of Exodus 16, 2 down to 3. There to the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only Yahuwah had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. And so there in the wilderness, what do the people of God do? They complain. Just like when they were in Marah, they complained about what? Water. This time, they complained about food. You know, when people enter an uncertain time in their life, they begin to complain. And when you complain, you begin to blame and make accusations. In this case, who are they placing the blame against? Moses and Aaron. You notice when they were in a state of complaint or bitterness, what did they say about what they used to have in Egypt? They said back in Egypt, we had all the meat that we can eat. We had all the bread that we ever wanted. And they also said, you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. Come on. Do you think Moses and Aaron purposely brought them into Egypt or out of Egypt into the wilderness to purposely starve them to death? Of course not. But when you are going through the desert, when you are being tested, when you're facing problems in life, sometimes your assessment of the past becomes twisted. Isn't that true? You know, people tend to twist the past in order to support their present complaint. This happens to us a lot. Before, they speak so highly of you. Afterwards, they begin to complain about you and speak negatively, negatively of you. It happens all of 
that time. And so what is the purpose of God? Why does he take him to a place where they have nothing to eat? Let's read the book of Exodus 16, 4 down to 5. Yahuwah said to Moses, now I'm going to cause food to rain down from the sky for all of you. The people must go out every day and gather enough for that day. This way, I can test them to find out if they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to bring in twice as much as usual and prepare it. What is the purpose of God in permitting them to experience this, not having food to eat? It is a test. How many here like tests? We don't like tests because when we are subjected to a test, then it means we're stepping out of our comfort zone. We like to be comfortable, right? We like to be in control. Sometimes God has a purpose for taking us through a test. And when we are being tested, oftentimes what we want from God is the following. Let Lord get me out of here. Yeah. Deliver me from my test. But if it's a test, God will not take you out. God will not deliver you. So what do we need to do? We have to go through it. Don't go backward, go through it. And when we go through it, what should be our resolve and determination? Book of Job 23, 10 to 12, but he knows where I am going. And when he tests me, I will come out as pure gold. For I have stayed on God's paths. I have followed his ways and not turned aside. I have not departed from his commands, but have treasured his words more than daily food. And so if we are being tested, if we, in some, we are in some kind of wilderness or desert experience, let us go through it with the determination that we will come out. And when we come out, we will be like pure gold. And so for us to come out as pure gold, what should we do? Job said, I have treasured his words more than daily food. You know, when it comes to trials in our life, those are the moments in our life when we all the more need to hunger for the words of God. All the more we need to look for the guidance of the words of God. Because usually when people go through some kind of trial, because they're in panic mode, they make bad decisions. And so what we need to do is to make sure we look for the guidance of God in terms of his instructions. And so what did God give for them to pass the test? In Exodus 16, 4 to 5, the Bible says God has given them his instructions. God wants us to pass the test. He gave us instructions and his words. So instead of complaining, what we need to do is obey the commands of God. However, the people of Israel, being young in terms of their spirituality, of course, they complain, right? You notice the people of Israel like to complain. I guess it's true for all people, not just the Israelites. Human beings like to complain. And when we complain, you know who listens? Who do you think listens when we complain? The book of Exodus 16, 6 down to 7. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, This evening you will know that it was Yahuwah who brought you out of Egypt. In the morning you will see the dazzling light of Yahuwah's presence. He has heard your complaints against him. Yes, 
against him because we are only carrying out his instructions. You know, when we complain, who's listening in on our thoughts and what we say? God does. Yahuwah listens in the conversations we have with other people. Maybe the person you're talking about is not there, but God is still listening. You know, God can even hear our thoughts. Do you believe that? Yeah. And God listens in all the time because our conversations, the word that come out of our mouth, it tells a lot about who we are. This is why we have to be mindful of what comes out of our mouth. God listened to his people and what he heard were complaints. It's a good thing God is not like us. Why? Book of Psalms 103 verse 14, for he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. Because if we were God and these people that we just set free from, the, from Egypt, all they're doing is complaining, we might kind of smoke them, right? Kind of destroy them on the spot. It's a good thing we're not God. The Bible says God knows, so we are weak. He remembers we are only dust. So when he listened to all of the complaints of the people of Israel, he considered that. They're but human beings. They are but dust. And so what did God do? Book of Exodus 16, verse 8, and Moses said, It is Yahuwah who will give you meat to eat in the evening and as much bread as you want in the morning, because he has heard how much you have complained against him. When you complain against us, you are really complaining against Yahuwah because of God's mercy, kindness. Yes, the people of Israel complained, but instead of punishing them, what did God do? God gave them meat. Not only meat, God is going to give them as much bread as they want. It's called unlimited bread. It's like when you go to Sizzler, you order your meat, and you get unlimited bread, right? Olive Garden, to give you unlimited bread. It all started out here in the book of Exodus. And so instead of God responding by punishing his people, God gives them meat. God is going to give them bread. Isn't God nice? God is so kind. But what is the purpose of the kindness of God? Why does he give us the opportunity to receive his grace? Well, in the book of Romans 2 verse 4, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? The same way God was patient and kind, tolerant with his people Israel, the Bible says he's also kind with us. Isn't that true? That's absolutely true. Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Yes, God is kind. Yes, God is tolerant. Yes, God is patient with us. But there's a purpose to the kindness of God. What is that purpose? It is to turn us from our sin. This is why we should not abuse the kindness of God. Has God been kind to us? then we should do what God wants, turn away from sin. But with people of Israel, what do they do? Let's fast forward to several years later. Let's go to Numbers 21 verse 5. And spoke against God and Moses. They complained. They did not stop complaining. Why did you bring, out, why did you bring us out of Egypt to die in this desert where there is no food or water? We can't stand any more of this miserable food. First they say there's no food. And then they say we can't stand any more of this miserable food. And so the complaining continues. 
right? But at this point, they were no longer new. They were kind of already used to all of, all of this. They have come to know God. They have come to know the commands of God. They have seen all the miracles of God. But even then, they still complain. And so this time, what does God do? Numbers 21, 6 down to 7. Then Yahuwah sent, what did he do? He sent poisonous snakes among the people, and many Israelites were bitten and died. The people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke against Yahuwah and against you. Now pray to Yahuwah to make these snakes away, to take these snakes away. So Moses prayed for the people when they were still young in their spirituality, God understood. He was patient with God. However, God expects more from them now, but they still kept complaining. They were still stubborn. So what did God do? God sent poisonous snakes. And what did they realize? Moses, we sinned. <laughs> Tell Yahuwah to let the snakes away. Take them away. And so Moses prayed. Sometimes for us to learn what needs to happen to us in the book of Psalms 119.71. It is good for me that I have been afflicted and I may learn your statutes. You know, with everything that's happening right now, like the coronavirus, perhaps God permitted this to happen because he's waking us up. What does he want us to learn? He wants us to learn his statutes. He wants us to learn his commands because if everyone's comfortable, we won't take the time to know the commands of God. We will say to ourselves, oh, we don't need to know the Bible. Oh, what's important is that we belong to the church. That's it. We don't need to know any more scriptures. But God says that the words of God that he has given, that is for our benefit. This is why from time to time when we are afflicted, it could be for our own good, right? When? When we learn to love his statutes and his commandments. And so God knows that as human beings, it takes time to learn. And so when they were complaining in the beginning, God was patient with them. What also does God provide? Exodus 16, 9 down to 12, uh, Moses said to Aaron, tell the whole community to come and stand before Yahuwah, because he has heard the complaints. As Aaron spoke to the whole community, they turned toward the desert, and suddenly the dazzling light of Yahuwah appeared in a cloud. Yahuwah said to Moses, I have heard the complaints of the Israelites. Tell them that twilight they will have meat to eat, and in the morning they will have all the bread they want. Then they will know that I, Yahuwah, am their God. God knows human nature. God knows as human beings, when we are in a predicament, we need assistance. God wants his people to pass the test. And so what did God do for the people of Israel? Bible says God gave them a promise. What is that promise? Tell them that at twilight, they will have meat, they will have bread. That's a promise. Not only did God give them a promise, Bible says God showed up before them. His presence was manifested. How so? Dazzling light of Yahuwah appeared in the cloud. You know, when you see the presence and the glory of God, what happens to you? You begin to focus your mind and your thought upon who? God. 
and you begin to think less and less of your predicament and problem. In other words, you shift away from your appetite and you begin to focus on the Father. This is why God appeared as a dazzling light so that the people of Israel would be awed by the presence of the Father. You know, with what is happening now, people are concerned about their welfare, which is justifiable, right? But people are panicking too. And so what does God want us to do? He wants us to focus on his glory. You know why? In the book of Isaiah 26, verse 3, you will keep in perfect peace all those, all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. It's called the power of attention. When the people of Israel's attention was on the food, they began to panic. But when your attention shifts to the Father or our God because of the dazzling lights that they saw, then you begin to shift away from fear and towards faith. You see, faith and fear are like opposite ends of a seesaw, right? When one is high, one is low. When fear is high, faith is low. But when faith is high, fear is low. And remember, your attention, faith follows. If our attention is fixed on the problems of life, like the coronavirus, guess what? You're going to lack peace. You're going to be dominated by fear. You're going to be in panic mode. But if we shift our attention to the Father, if we fix our thoughts upon God, what shall we have? Perfect peace. We will develop our faith. And so just as God back then wanted his people to focus on him, we need to focus on the Father as well. We may not have the dazzling lights, but we have the words of our almighty God. That is the advantage that we have over the people of Israel. God gave a sign. God gave a promise. Did he deliver on his promise? The book of Exodus 16, 13 and 15. In the evening, a large flock of quails flew in, enough to cover the camp. And in the morning, there was dew all around the camp. When the dew evaporated, there was something thin and flaky on the surface of the desert. It was, a it was as delicate as frost. When the Israelites saw it, they didn't know what it was and asked each other, what is it? Moses said to them, this is the food that Yahuwah has given you to eat. This was food directly from heaven. And what does Yahuwah want his people to know? That it was Yahuwah himself who directly fed them and is taking care of them. And this is why when God gave the flock of quails, God gave the, the bread from heaven, it was God's way of showing them both mercy and grace. You know what the difference is between mercy and grace? Do you know what mercy is? Mercy, we can define it this way, not receiving from God what we deserve. What did the people of Israel deserve, really? Because they were complaining. They really deserve to be punished by God, right? But that's not what they got. Why? Because God gave them mercy. What's grace? Grace is receiving from God what we don't deserve. I mean, they did not deserve this kind of treatment, food and and uh, bread from heaven and quail, but God gave it to them anyways. Why? Because God showed them mercy. God showed them grace. 
God does the same thing for each and every one of us today. And so when God fulfilled his promise, he attached a commandment to it. What is that commandment? The book of Exodus 16, 16 to 18. Yahuwah has commanded that each of you is to gather as much of it as he needs. Two quarters for each member of his household. The Israelites did this, some gathering more, others less. When they measured it, uh, those who gathered much did not have too much, and those who gathered less did not have too little. Each had gathered just what he needed. Every morning, each one gathered as much as he needed, and when the sun grew hot, what was left on the ground melted. And so when God provided for the people of Israel, does it mean God is going to spoon feed them? No, God gave a command. What is the command? Bible says, God said to them, you have to gather it yourself. Each one will gather for himself and for his household. No one else is going to gather for you. You have to do it yourself. This is why we need to understand this principle of God. Yes, God will give us what we need. However, when God does his part, we have to do our part. We have a part in it too. We have to gather the blessing that God gives us. What else do we need to understand about God's provision? Bible says you need to gather it early in the morning because by noontime, it's going to melt. In other words, we have to act on God's will right away. Do not postpone fulfilling the will of the Father. Gather as much as you need, not according to your greed, right? But according to your need. Because sometimes there are people who are so greedy. But God says, get as much as you need for today. Why? Book of Exodus 16, 19, Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it for tomorrow. You're supposed to get as much as you need today. Don't get for tomorrow's needs. Why was this instruction given by God? Matthew 6, 31 to 34. So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. You know, God is teaching us to trust him for today's needs. And if we trust the Father for today's needs, we should not be worried about tomorrow. When you think about worrying, what is that? It's fear about tomorrow, right? That's what worry is. And God says, do not worry about tomorrow. Trust God today. And so God was teaching them to trust him for their needs today. This is why God said, do not get more than you need. Do not hoard for tomorrow's needs. This was the instruction of God to teach them to trust him on a daily basis. However, what did some do? Exodus 16, 20, but some of them did not listen to Moses and saved part of it. What do you think happened to the part they saved? The next morning, it was full of worms and smelled rotten. And Moses was angry with them. They did not trust God's provision for tomorrow. And so they wanted to prepare 
in their own terms. And so they disobeyed the will of the Father. They hoarded in preparation for tomorrow. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of what we have the situation today, right? Because of the coronavirus, what have people been doing? They're buying and buying and buying toilet paper. Now, you know, there's nothing wrong with buying for the things that you need in preparation for what's up, what's upcoming, right? There's nothing wrong with that. However, what is wrong though is when people start fighting, right? I mean, you go to the store and buy the things that you need, that's good. You're being proactive, right? You're being wise. However, if we trust the Father, we should not disrespect the other person. What should be seen in us is compassion and kindness, not fighting over toilet paper. When that happens, it shows that we don't trust in our Father. And so we should not engage in this kind of behavior. How many here have a room full of toilet paper? Be honest. Because if you do, that's the reason why if you go to Target, you go to Walmart, you go to Costco, there's no more toilet paper anywhere. And still, I don't understand why and how toilet paper can save you from the coronavirus. If you find an explanation, please let me know about that. Okay? Now, what else is God's command? On the sixth day, book of Exodus 16, 22 to 23, on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much food. So on the first day, second day, third day, fourth day, and the fifth day, you gather only for that day. But on the sixth day, God changes everything. God says on the sixth day, gather twice as much food. Four courts for each person. All the leaders of the community came and told Moses about it. And he said to them, Yahuwah has commanded that tomorrow is a holy day of rest dedicated to him. Bake today what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Whatever is left should be put aside and be kept for tomorrow. And so what does God command on the sixth day? On the sixth day, they are to gather twice as they usually gather, right? Why? It's in preparation for the next day. What? The next day is supposed to be dedicated to who? Yahuwah, our God. And so what is this day called? Let's read the book of Exodus 16. 24 to 26, as Moses had commanded, they kept what was left until the next day. It did not spoil or get worms in it. Why? Because it had the blessing of the Father, right? Because it was within the boundary of God's words. Remember, when you step out of the boundary of God's words, if greed is what's governing you instead of love, if it's not the word of God that you're following, our life is going to end up being rotten. But if we follow the commands of God, God will bless it. This is why no, it was not spoiled. It did not get worms in it. Moses said, eat this today because today is the Sabbath, a day of rest dedicated to Yahuwah. And you will not find any food outside the camp. You must gather food for six days. But on the seventh day, a day of rest, there will be none. And so what is that day called? The seventh day that is dedicated to Yahuwah, a day of rest. The Bible calls that the Sabbath day. And so in this passage, we begin to see the precursors of God's command concerning the Sabbath. How we must observe the Sabbath day. This was one of the Ten Commandments God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. And so on the seventh day, what were they supposed to do? Dedicate that, dedicate that day to who? Yahuwah. 
They were not supposed to work at all. They were not supposed to look for food. But what did some do? Book of Exodus 16, 27. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather food, but they did not find any. I guess they forgot that the, the food that came from heaven was provided by God himself. Maybe they thought it was a natural thing. No, it was provided by God. And so when they stepped out to look for food, to look for that bread, on the seventh day, they could not find any. But still, they violated the command of God. So what did Moses say? Exodus 16, 28 to 30. Then Yahuwah said to Moses, How much longer will you people refuse to obey my commands? Remember that I, Yahuwah, have given you a day of rest. That is why on the sixth day, I will always give you enough food for two days. Everyone is to stay where he is on the seventh day and not leave his home. So the people did no work on the seventh day. And so God was upset. What did he say to the people? How, how much longer will you people refuse to obey my commands? Yes, God is patient. God is tolerant. And it's a good thing God is merciful. You know, God is giving them every chance in the world. But we have to understand God's commands is for our own good. Do you believe that? You know, when God gives a command, do you think it's really for him? No, it's for us. For example, look at this command of God. On the seventh day, what does God want them to do? Rest. This is why it says there, everyone is to stay where he is on the seventh day and not leave his home. God wants him to rest. Because, in, because the other six days, what are they doing? They're working hard. What's their work, brother? They gather the manna and they're journeying across the desert. Is that hard work? Yeah. What does God want them to do? To have rest. God wants them to have physical rest. Why? Because God knows the human body. He was the one who created the human body. God knows that as human beings, we need physical rest. How many here feel good if they don't sleep for eight hours? You don't feel good, right? God, God knows what we need. God wants us to rest our body because when we don't rest our body, guess what? Our bodies begin to sick, get sick. Our bodies begin to fall apart. God wants us to rest. And so what is the purpose of the Sabbath day instituted by God? Book of Mark 2, 27 to 28. Then Yahusha said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. What is the purpose of the Sabbath? Why did God institute it in the first place? To meet the needs of people. You see, God knows we need what? Rest. That's why Yahusha said the Sabbath was made to meet our needs. What else did Yahusha say? He said that he being the son of man is Lord, including Lord over the Sabbath. This is why if we want true rest, the true everlasting rest, we find that in who? Yahusha. Yahusha is the source of our everlasting rest. And so what does he invite us to do? Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. Then Yahusha said, come to me, all of you who are weary 
and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burdens I give you is light. How can Yahusha be our rest by taking his yoke upon us? In other words, by connecting with Yahusha HaMashiach, by allowing him to lead our life. When we do that, we will have rest. Rest for our souls. You know, if you were to go back, let's, let's say, for example, you were part of the six million people or so with the people of Israel during the time of Moses, and you're journeying across the desert for many, many days, many, many years, you want rest, right? Of course you want rest. And so you should welcome the Sabbath day during our time. Do we also need rest? Yes, maybe not physical rest. Maybe for many of us, we get that all the time. But there are people who are struggling with the events happening today. The locust problem, problem with the economy, problem with the coronavirus. There's so many problems all over the world. And when you are thinking about all this, it makes you feel terrible, right? You need rest, not physically, but emotionally, mentally, right? And so we also need to look for that kind of rest that will allow us to find peace. How can we have that? The book of Psalms 37, rest in Yahuwah and wait patiently for him. I want to pause there for a little bit because right now we are living in stressful times. There are young people thinking, am I going to graduate, right? Am I going to go to college? That's a stressful thing to be in. There are people who are thinking, okay, what am I going to do? I have no job at this moment. I have no job. Maybe some of us are fortunate to get to work at home, but there are so many people who got laid off because they haven't, because of the uh, many uh, mandates given by the government. Lockdown in San Jose, right? Lockdown in California. And so people are worried. People are stressed out. Raise your hand if you're stressed out. A lot of us are stressed out, right? And so God wants us to find rest in Him. You know how you do that? How can we find rest in God during these turbulent times? What do we need? Trust in Yahuwah and do good. To find rest in God begins with trust. We need to trust that Yahuwah is still in control. We need to trust that he can cause all things to work together for good. It begins there. Trust in Yahuwah and do good. Don't fight. Don't go to the target line and fight with the customers. I got this toilet paper first. No, you do good. You do good to your fellow man. Trust in God is manifested in your compassion and your kindness toward one another. What else? Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. In other words, take some time to meditate upon how God has blessed you throughout your life. Feed on his faithfulness. It will help you find rest in the Father. What else? Delight yourself also in Yahuwah, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. In other words, feel the presence of the Father. Feel his love in your heart when you do that. 
when you trust, when you feed on his faithfulness, when you delight in the presence of our God, we will find rest in Yahuwah. And so this is what God wants us to do. And God wanted the people of Israel to find rest in him. This is why God said the seventh day will be a day dedicated to who? To Yahuwah. And so when food came down from heaven, what do they call that food? Exodus 16, verse 31. The people of Israel called the food manna, which in Hebrew means, you know what it means, manna? What is it? <laughs> because this food didn't come from earth, right? Unlike onions and cabbage where you can grow from the earth, this food did not come from earth. It came from where? Heaven. They have never seen anything like it. And so they, when they looked at it, they said, what is it? And that's where the name manna came from. It means, what is it? It was like a small white seed and tasted like thin cakes made with honey. Right? And so that's how it tastes like. Thin cakes made with honey. Makes me want to go to Valerio's and get some of the pastries. Right? But... According to Jewish legends, okay, this, I'm not going to read from the Bible, but there's some Jewish legends who had stories about manna. This is what uh, they said about manna. Jewish legends, remember this is not biblical, so I don't really believe this. Jewish legends supposedly tell us what this bread from heaven tasted like. One only had to desire a certain dish, like pinakbet, karekare. And no sooner had he thought of it than the mana had the flavor of the dish desired. Isn't that nice? I'm craving hamburger. Give me my mana. And all of a sudden, you bite. Oh, tastes like famous star from Cars Jr. Right? The same food had a different taste to everyone who partook of it, according to his age. So if you want an ice cream, get the mana, you got ice cream. Will be flavor? No problem. To the little children, it tasted like milk. To the strong youths, like bread. To the old men, like honey. To the sick, like barley, steeped in oil and honey. But they also wrote that manna was bitter in the mouth of Gentiles. This is according to the Jewish legend, according to Ginsburg. Do I believe it? I don't really believe it. <laughs> but it's nice to have a story like that, right? But you know what I believe? You know what I believe? That can take on the form of our needs. Let's read the book of 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. I believe in God's grace. And God's grace takes on the form of our needs. Whatever your need may be at that moment, grace, the grace of God has got that covered. You need healing? God's grace can do it. In the financial help, God's grace can do it. You need strength, God's, God's grace can do it. Because God's grace will provide with all sufficiency in all things that you need. The mana may not take the form of your taste buds, but the grace of God will take the form of whatever need you may have. This is why no matter what happens in our society, there's no reason for us to lose our trust in the Father because He will provide for what we need by his grace. So rely on the grace of our father. What else was commanded by God? Exodus 16, 32, 33, Moses said, Yahuwah has commanded us to save some mana 
to be kept for our descendants so that they can see the food which he gave us to eat in the desert when he brought us out of Egypt. Moses said to Aaron, take a jar, put two quarts of manna in it, and place it in Yahuwah's presence to be kept for our descendants. Apparently, in God's plan, the manna, well, it's not going to be forever, right? It's going to come a time when the manna, God's provision through the manna, will come to an end. And so what did God instruct them to do? You have to save some mana for your descendants. That way you can tell your, your descendants, your children, your children's children, all about how God delivered the people of Israel. Do you know how long God provided mana for the people of Israel? In the book of Exodus 16, 34 to 36, as Yahuwah had commanded Moses, Aaron, put it in front of the covenant box so that it could be kept. The Israelites ate manna for the next 40 years until they reached the land of Canaan where they settled. The standard dry measure then in use equaled 20 words. And so God provided manna for 40 years. You know, 40 is a number that's often used throughout scripture, right? It usually stands for completeness. So manna was being provided by God because God wanted to show them something. You know, when God gave them bread to eat from heaven, he wasn't simply trying to satisfy their appetites and their physical need. There was something else. There's a lesson to be learned from the manna. Because Exodus 16, we're finished with Exodus 16. But there's a lesson God wants us to learn from the manna. What is that? The book of Deuteronomy 8.30 and the verses 3. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of Yahuwah. What is the purpose of the manna? What was God trying to teach them? Not just to, fit, not just to get, get them, not just for them to have something to eat when they're hungry, there wasn't just a physical purpose. There was a deeper spiritual purpose that God wanted to teach them. What is that? God humbled them so that God can teach them about something. And what, what was that lesson God wanted them to learn? That they cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of Yahuwah. You know, brethren, where can we find every word that came from Yahuwah's mouth? Scriptures. All of Scripture. If we will limit ourselves to just study the New Testament and we say to ourselves, oh, the Old Testament is no longer needed, it defeats the purpose of God in giving the manah. What is the purpose of God to teach us every and all of God's words recorded in the Holy Scripture is very much vital for our spiritual development. This is why we decided to study the Bible in its entirety. We have the Bible History Project from Genesis to Revelation because we believe every word that comes from the mouth of Yahuwah is vital for each and every one of us. And so just as the people of Israel looked to receive their share of manna every day, every day we need to feed on the words of our Almighty God. But there's another reason, another lesson 
about mana. What is that? The book of John, 64851. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the desert, but they died. But the bread that comes down from heaven is of such a kind that whoever eats it will not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If you eat this bread, what does it say? You will live forever. Don't you want that bread? Oh, I want that bread. What kind of bread is it? It's the living bread. The bread that I will give you is my flesh, which I give so that the world may live. And so the manna that God was using, and he was convincing the people of Israel to look upon the manna, the manna was also a type of what? Yahusha. It's a type of Christ. It was pointing to Yahusha, the Messiah. This is why Yahusha said, I am the bread of life. And if back then the manna provided nourishment and strength, those who ate the manna during the time of Moses, they eventually died. But Yahushua said, I'm different. The best manna, the living bread, Yahushua. He said, if you eat of the living bread, you will not die. You will have everlasting life. What does it mean then? How can we eat of the bread? Does it mean we're going to physically eat Yahushua? Of course not. What was Yahushua trying to tell us? John, we read John 6, 48, 51. This is what he was trying to convince us of. John 6, 29, Yahushua answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. This is why we have John 6, 29. The one sent there is who? Not Brother Felix Manalo. The one sent there is not Brother Felix Manalo. Who is that one who was sent that we must believe and have faith in? Yahushua, the Messiah. He is the living bread. He is the manna that gives everlasting life. People of Israel, when they had the manna fall from heaven, God was telling them in advance about something much greater, the coming of Yahushua, the Messiah. And the work of the Father is to convince all of us to have faith, to believe in Yahusha HaMashiach. That's the purpose of manna. But there's another lesson that we must learn from the story of the manna. You know what that is? Before we get there, I just want to point this out. The book of Corinthians 10, 1 to 2. I want you to remember. Remember, we are in 1 Corinthians. It says Old Testament or New Testament? New Testament, right? Apostle Paul says, I want you to remember, my friends, what happened to our ancestors who followed Moses. They were all under the protection of the cloud and all passed safely through the Red Sea. In the cloud and in the sea, they were all baptized as followers of Moses. So the crossing through the Red Sea, it was a type of the baptism in Yahusha the Christ. And so after they crossed the Red Sea, they were going to go to Mount Sinai and then to the Promised Land. But to get to all that, they have to cross the wilderness and the desert. All of us who were baptized, like what you keep hearing from us, the day, of, the day of your baptism is a great day. However, the day of your baptism is not the finish line. What is it? 
It's just the starting line. It's just the beginning. Why? We have to complete that journey. This is why from the time of our baptism to the time of our inheritance, receiving the kingdom of God in heaven, we will go through wilderness and desert moments in our life. Nobody wants to go through a desert and a wilderness, but we're going to go through that. And sometimes when we go through a difficult time in our life, the question we, we always ask is this, why is this happening? All right? And sometimes we ask a similar question, why is this happening to me? And then they even say, why do bad things happen to good people? First of all, none of us are good, right? And when we ask questions like, why is this happening? For example, what's happening in the world now? Why is this happening? You know, when we ask questions like that, why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? It's like we're complaining against God. It's like we're telling God, you don't know what you're doing. I know better than you, right? But there's something we need to understand when perplexing things happen, like what happened to us when we left the institution. Why? This, why did this all happen? Because when we left the institution, when we were expelled from the institution, we had so many questions, right? What's happening? Why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? There's something God wants us to know when we try to kind of uh, educate the Father. Because when we ask questions like that, it's like we're telling the Father, I know better than you. This should not happen. Why is this happening? It's like you're the boss and you're directing God to fix his mistakes. Oh boy, that's not what we're supposed to be asking. And so what does Yahuwah say? In the book of Isaiah 55, 8 to 9, my thoughts, says Yahuwah, are not like yours, and my ways are different from yours. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are my ways and thoughts above yours. So next time we're tempted to ask the question, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening at all? We need to remember God's ways are way higher than ours and God's thoughts are way higher than ours. As far as the heavens are above the earth, that's how high God's thoughts and God's ways are compared to ours. And so what should we not try to do? Romans 11, 33, 35, how great are God's riches? How deep are his wisdom and knowledge? Who can explain his decisions? Who can understand his ways? As the scripture says, who knows the mind of the Lord? Who is able to give him advice? Who has ever given him anything so that he had to pay it back? So next time you feel like complaining as though you can teach God a thing or two, we need to understand his ways are high. His wisdom is great and deep. We cannot explain his decisions. We cannot understand his ways. This is why the best thing to do when you're facing a perplexing situation, if the world is going through some difficulty, the best thing to do, you know what it is? Next slide. We must live on Yahuwah's promises and not on why? Because we don't have the brain power to comprehend Yahuwah's decisions anyways, right? It's beyond our comprehension. So the best thing to do, do not live on Yahuwah's explanations. We can't understand it fully. Rather, live on Yahuwah's 
promises. In other words, rely on Yahuwah's promises. Trust in Yahuwah's promises. Why can we trust in Yahuwah's promises? Because his greatest promise was already fulfilled. Do you know what that is? What is Yahuwah's greatest promise that was promised through the manak that fell on the earth during the days of the wilderness journey? What is that? Let's read the book of Romans 8, 31, 32. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Yahusha was given to us by God to be sacrificed for our sake. The greatest manna, the living bread from heaven was given to us. If that's true, the Bible says, if he did not even spare his own son, then how much more will he give us everything that we need? Yes, we live in uncertain times, but we have a certainty. What is that certainty? God's promise. He will provide. If he provided for the people of Israel back then with manna, he has already given us the greatest of all, Yahusha. That's why Apostle Paul says if he gave up his own son, everything else we need, everything else we need, that's just a bonus. And Yahuwah is going to give that too. And so what should be our conviction? Because we know the events that will take place in the future, they'll get worse. But what should we hold on to? Let's just keep reading. Romans 8, 37, 39. No, in all these things, we have complete victory through him who loved us. For I am certain, certain, that nothing can separate us from his love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor other heavenly rulers or powers, neither the present nor the future, neither the world above nor the world below. There is nothing in all creation that will ever be able to separate us from the love of God, which is ours through Christ Yahusha, our Lord. Yes, we live in times of uncertainty. There's something we're certain of. What is that? Bible says, no matter what happens in the future, nothing can ever separate us from the love of our God that is ours because of Yahusha, the Christ. Death cannot take us away because even if we die, we'll be given a new everlasting life. Angels and demons cannot take us away. Rulers and powers, nothing in the present, nothing in the future can ever take us away from the love of Yahuwah. And so, brethren, let's find rest in Yahuwah. During these uncertain times, let's place our trust in him, make our God our place of safety, our shelter, and our refuge. Okay? That is our lesson, but we're not yet done because we have, whoa, a mailbox. Uh -huh. We're almost done, but let's just go through mailbox. This is a comment that, and then this comment was given, and then the person gave seven questions about it. We'll go, we'll go through it really briefly. For, uh, this is what he says. Kindly, please include this fall on our next BHP. A non-INC member posted this verse, Romans 13, 1. I'm assuming Romans 13, verse 1, right? New Living Translation. Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. 
in spite of the efforts of the government to ask the people to avoid mass gatherings, the INC institution uh, continues to attend the worship services that put everyone in danger of contracting COVID-19. But one INC member and his group responded with this verse, Acts 5.29. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. And then he also mentions Hebrews 10.25, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Whether they will or will not get infected of COVID-19, they will still attend worship services and ignoring the calling of the government authority. Now, okay, in fairness and, you know, to the INC, they did comply with the mandates of the government, which is why I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, I'm no longer an INC, so I don't really know what's what they're up to. Um, but as far as I know, INC has complied with the directives of the government. And so the question is about really a conflict between what the government wants or tells us to do and what God wants and he wants us to do, right? So based on that, on that comment, again, I just want to reiterate the INC has complied with the decision and the direction of the government. Okay, so in fairness, I just wanted to make that clarification. But let's go to the first question. Are these two verses for contradicting to one another? I'm assuming it's the verse about Romans 13, where it says we have to obey and submit to governing powers and authorities. And what Apostle Peter said, that we must obey God rather than men. Are they conflicting? They're not conflicting. It's all about priorities. What do you mean? Book of Matthew 6.33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as swell. And so when Apostle Paul says, subject yourself to governing authorities, it is understood it must not violate any of God's righteousness. Why? Because our first priority is to obey the righteousness of God, and our first priority is to preserve the kingdom of God. So if it doesn't violate what the government is teaching, if it doesn't violate the kingdom of which we are a part of, if it doesn't violate the righteousness of God, of course, we obey and subject ourselves to the authority of the government. Okay. Number two, did the verse Romans 13.1 prohibit anyone from worshiping our Abba, Yahuwah. It doesn't say that. Let's read Romans 13 verse 1. Everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God and those in positions of authority have been placed by God. So if, for example, we live in a country and that country has a governing power, of course every country does, and the country creates laws, should we subject ourselves to these governing authorities? Absolutely. However, what kind of governing authority should we completely submit to? Romans, we read uh, 13, uh, 1, let's read 3 to 4. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. 
the authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course, you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. When Apostle Paul says we should submit to governing authorities, what did he mean? In verses 3 down to 4, authorities who are God's servants. Because not all authorities who have been placed by God follow the will of God. All right? Even church authorities whom God placed do not always follow the will of God. So when Apostle Paul says you ought to submit to governing authorities that have been placed by God, if the governing authority placed by God is no longer a servant of God, as I mentioned in the verse, then we should not follow that because authorities who are God's servants, we should follow. How can we recognize them? They want to lead us to do what is good, not, not in doing what is wrong. This is why the Apostle Peter had the same sentiment. What did he say? 1 Peter 2, 13 and 16. For the sake of the Lord, submit yourselves to every human authority, to the emperor who is the supreme authority, and to the governors who, gave, who have been appointed by him to punish the evildoers and to praise those who do good. For God wants you to silence the ignorant talk of foolish people by the good things you do. Live as free people. Do not, however, use your freedom to cover up any evil, but live as God's slaves. But also did Apostle Peter echo, which is similar to what Apostle Paul said. He said, yes, submit yourselves to every human authority. However, let us make sure that these authorities implement the will of God. Like what? They punish evildoers. What is the difference? How will we know if one is evil or one is good or bad? The words of God. So we filter everything that we do knowing the standard that we must observe. And that standard is God's words. The one thing God doesn't want us to do is to cover up what? We must not cover up any evil because sometimes there are people who say, if there are people who respond to evil and they oppose what is evil, they will say to them, oh, they're easily offended, right? That's why they left the church, they're easily offended. No, the Bible says we must not use our freedom to cover up any evil, okay? Let's go to question number three. Is Acts 5.29 the right verse to use to justify that even though there is a nationwide emergency, they can and will ignore the announcement of the government about social distancing? I think, I believe it's the wrong context. The wrong context. What's the proof? Let's read the book of Acts 5.29. Peter and the other apostles answered, we must obey God, not men. Can we use that message of the Holy Bible to apply to what is being said today concerning uh, the coronavirus, the, the uh, decision not to have public gatherings, including worship? I don't think so. Why? When Peter said, we must obey God, not men, first of all, who was the one who gave uh, the instruction that, that should not be obeyed. The book of Acts 5.27, they brought the apostles in, made them stand before the council, and the high priest questioned them. And so Apostle Peter was referring to the council and the high priest. He was referring to Jewish authorities. And so what were they instructing the apostles to refrain from doing? You know what it was? Which caused Apostle Peter to say, 
we must obey God rather than men. What did the Jewish authorities instruct them to do? Let's read verse 28. We gave you strict orders not to teach in the name of this man. He said, but see what you have done. You have spread your teaching all over Jerusalem, and you want to make us responsible for his death. Peter and the other apostles answered, we must obey God and not men. So the context is different. What uh, Apostle Peter was referring to was the order of the high priest and the council to, to, who told them, do not use this man's name when they were preaching. Okay, um, That's why he said, we must obey God and not men. Let's go to question number four. Is the synagogue or chapel the only place where we can worship our loving Abba Yahuwah? You know, this is a common question. I mean, there's so many who want to leave the institution and they want to join us. And the number one concern that they have, which is what's preventing them, they have this idea, believe it or not, that if you don't have a house of worship that's been dedicated to God, in the same way like the house of worship was dedicated by um, Solomon, remember, when he dedicated the temple? If there's no house of worship or a temple, then we cannot properly worship God. We cannot worship God. So the question is very, very relevant. Is the synagogue or chapel the only place or we can worship our loving Abba, Yahuwah. What do you think the answer is? It used to be. It used to be correct, but not anymore. Why? The book of John 4, 19 and 21, the one speaking here, is it's about a conversation between a, a Samaritan woman and Yahusha. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? Well, we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worship. So during the, during the olden days, when you wanted to worship Yahuwah, you had to go to Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? Why Jerusalem? What's in Jerusalem? The temple. What's in the temple? Why? What's in the temple? And for this reason, we had to be there in order to carry out the work of worshiping the Father. The tabernacle. Remember the tabernacle? What's the tabernacle? It was what God gave for the people of Israel to be, to be cleansed, to be able to worship God. This is why they had to go through a ceremony with the tabernacle. You had the courtyard, the holy place, the most holy place. You had the priest. In the courtyard, you had the uh, altar. And that's where you are to burn sacrifices to the father you get sheep or lamb right and then they kill that pour it on the altar for the forgiveness of sins only then can you worship the father and where do they do that in the temple in the tabernacle in the temple this is why if you wanted to worship god back then you had to be in jerusalem you needed the place of worship the temple however take note what yahusha says next yahusha replied believe me dear woman the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. And so Yahushua said it will no longer matter. Time is coming when it no longer matters whether or not there's a temple. Why? When is this time that is coming according to Yahushua? According to the Apostle Paul, in the book of Hebrews 9, 11, and 14, when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already 
here. This is what Yahushua was alluding to when he said time is coming, right? Apostle Paul said it's already here. It's already here. What is that? He went through uh, the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. That is to say not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of the heifer sprinkled, sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. After Christ, Yahusha, our Lord, gave up his life with his shed blood. What happened? Bible says, by his own blood, we have obtained eternal redemption. What does that mean? We don't need a tabernacle, physical tabernacle anymore. We don't need a physical temple anymore. This is why it's not true that you have to be in a place of worship or a temple to carry out the work of worshiping our God. Yahushua, when he sacrificed himself by his shed blood, we were given the right to serve the living God, even without a temple or a tabernacle and so in the christian era especially during our time do we need a building or a temple corinthians 3 verse 9 apostle paul says for you both god's workers and you are god's field you are god's building don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of god and that the spirit of god lives in you this is why the apostles never built a house of worship <laughs> yahushua never said to build a house of worship is it good to have a house of worship? Yeah, we're not saying it's bad. It's a nice thing to have, but is it a necessity? It's not. It's something nice to have so that we can have an orderly worship. But Apostle Paul said, it is not needed because you, you are the temple. You are the building. And God's spirit dwells in you. And that's what's, what's important. Not the physical building, but the spirit. Because even if you have the nicest building in the world, but it doesn't have spirit. <laughs> what kind of worship is that? But even if you don't have a nice building, but the spirit is there, then that is the true worship. That's why Yahushua said, worship in spirit and truth. What is needed are the people of God to be together. And what, how many people do we need? <laughs> the book of Matthew 18, 24, where two or three come together in my name. There I am with them. And so what is important is that Yahusha is with us, even if it's not a temple or a house of worship. So the question, can we worship God, even if we don't have a synagogue or a place of worship? Yes, we can, because we are the temple of God. And when we meet together in his name, Yahusha is with us. Okay, number five, if we pray or worship him in our respective home, Will not Abba Yahuwah listen to us? Or should it only be done in the chapel? I mean, should we, I guess the question is, can we only pray? Can we only pray in the house of worship? Because the house of worship is also called the house of prayer. Is it good to have a place dedicated for prayer? That's good. I mean, hopefully, God willing, 
we can have our own place of prayer, play up, place of worship. But in your own house, you can designate a room as a place of prayer. However, when it comes to prayer, is it true that we can only confine ourselves in a chapel in order to pray to the Father and be heard by Him? I want you to listen to this and then you be the judge. Acts 16, 22, 26, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. The magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. And they had been severely flogged. They were thrown into prison. The jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. Can we only pray and worship in the house of worship? No. What's the proof? Peter and Silas. Oh, Paul and Silas. Where was Paul and Silas? The house of worship? <laughs> were, they the, were they in the house of prayer? House of worship? No. Where were they? In prison. What did they do in prison? They worship. Did they pray? Yeah. They even sang hymns. I guess they memorized the hymns. Right? They had memorized the hymns. And so they prayed. They worshiped. They sang hymns in prison, not in the temple. Did God listen to them? Oh, yeah. In a dramatic way. What happened? At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. So you be the judge. Do you think God answers prayers even if it's not in the house of prayer? Absolutely. Number six, Hebrews 10.25. Will this consider intentionally forsaking worship services when there is a pandemic? Okay. Uh, Hebrews 10.25 says the following. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. There's a pandemic? Yeah. But should we still continue to meet together for worship? Yes especially if, we, if it can be done in a safe way. This is why we're so fortunate, right? Brethren, we're so fortunate because God has given us a technology by which we can meet together, meet together for worship, carry out every part of our worship because of the technology. This is why I believe God has prepared us for this time. And so even if there's a pandemic, uh, we can still connect together for worship. Are we still fulfilling this command? Yeah. Because we're meeting together. When we meet together via Zoom, is that not meeting together? It's still meeting together. We're still connected, right? Maybe not physically, but technologically, and most of all, spiritually, we're connected. Well, when should we all the more make sure that we meet together? Well, the Bible says, and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, the coronavirus and this pandemic these are signs that the day is approaching. And so because we know we're approaching that day, Apostle Paul says, all the more you should keep the habit of meeting together for worship. This is why God has prepared us, prepared us, so that even if there's a pandemic, we can meet together for worship. And so we have no problems whatsoever. I mean, with the other religions, we suggest use online, right? If you want to do that. 
Let's go to the last question. In the book of Leviticus, it teaches us about quarantine. Thank you and me, Abba Yahuwah. Bless you, Paul. I guess it's the last question. Leviticus 13, 45, 46, those who suffer from a serious skin disease must tear their clothing and leave their hair uncombed. <laughs> that way you stay away from them. <laughs> yes. Because when you see someone who yes, has his hair uncombed, you don't want to be, maybe you don't want to kind of hang out with that person. <laughs> and send, they must cover their mouth and call out, unclean, unclean. <laughs> as long as the serious disease lasts, they'll be ceremonially unclean. They must live in isolation. What do you call that? Quarantine. In their place outside the camp. Is it true that quarantine is biblically based? Yes. What is, the I mean, what is the purpose of God in isolating an individual? God wants to protect his people. Six million people. You have a disease in one person. You're being so close in contact, right? They had no social distancing back then. There's six million people in one place. If someone got sick, everyone's going to get sick. Even if Moses and the people of Israel did not understand viruses and bacteria, who understood that? God did. This is why he was the one who gave the instruction to quarantine, to isolate those who have a disease. That way the disease will not spread from one person to the next. If someone had a disease, he had to be labeled unclean, <laughs> right? Because we don't want that person to pass on that sickness. But if the person becomes uh, recovered from the skin disease, what must happen next? Leviticus 14.8, the person being purified must then wash their clothes, shave off all their hair, and bathe themselves in water. Then they will be ceremonially clean and may return to the camp. However, they must remain outside their tents for seven days. Okay? Give some time for the virus or the... Uh, bacteria to, to die. <laughs> but it wasn't only for people, but even for things. For example, Leviticus 13, 52, 54, the priest must burn the item, the clothing, the woolen or linen fabric or piece of leather, for it has been contaminated by a serious mildew. <laughs> it must be completely destroyed by fire. But if the priest examines it and finds that the contaminated area has not spread in the clothing, the fabric, or the leather, the priest will order the object to be washed and then quarantined for seven more days. And so, yes, there's the reality of quarantine. And so even, even if we have the actual physical in-person meeting for our worship, if someone is sick, right, then they should stay home. They should stay home so that the other people of God will not be effective. You know, when you look at all these different commands of God concerning a person who has disease or things that have mildew, what's the one thing that you notice? God's emphasis on cleanliness, right? Cleanliness, wash your hands. This is why somebody coined the phrase, cleanliness is next to godliness. It came from Leviticus because that was the solution to the epidemics and pandemics that often ruin civilizations. And so what we should understand is when God gives us a command, the final passage of our studies, Jeremiah 7.3, and I commanded them to obey me. 
so that I would be their God and they would be my people. And I told them to live the way I had commanded them so that things would go well for them. But they did not obey or pay any attention. Instead, they did whatever their stubborn and evil hearts told them to do. And they became worse instead of better. Remember, when God gives a command, it's for us. Because he is after our well-being. He wants us to become better, not worse. But if we're stubborn and you want to do things our way, instead of getting better, you become worse. You want your life to become better? You want to be safe? You want to enjoy well-being? Know the commands of God and follow them. God will give us everything that we need. Okay? That is our lesson. Let us all stand, brethren, and we shall pray together. Everlasting Father, yes. gracious God, Yahuwah, Amen. Thank you so much yes. for giving us your commands, yes. for giving us hope, yes. for giving us your principles to live by. Amen. Father, we believe that what is happening throughout the world yes. are signs of the time. You yes. want each one of us to be fully prepared. Yes. We believe there are things beyond our comprehension. Yes. And so we do not ask the question why. Yes. Rather, we trust you, O oh Father. Yes, okay. We believe in your wisdom. And we know that you are in control of all things. Yes. We ask you for guidance and protection. Yes. Remember your people all over the world. Yes. Keep us safe at all times. Yes. Bless our fellow men, especially those cities and places destroyed by this pandemic. Please find a solution for us. Yes. Give us what we need to know. Yes. That many shall recover. Amen. Father, no matter what happens in this world, yes. we will always look up to you. Yes. We will yes. focus on you. Fix our thoughts on you. Yes. That we can obtain perfect peace. Amen. Our Lord Yahusha, yes. you are the living bread. And so we have faith in you. That yes. you are the Son of God. You are our Mashiach. We who belong to you, yes. we will obey you and worship you. And we will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Amen. Oh, Father, we believe that you have listened to your people. Yes. Continue to provide for our needs yes. and give us your protection in these last days. Amen. We ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha. Amen. Amen.